0: You're listening to the Citrus Church podcast. Now, here's the message. All right. Well, this morning, as we uh, gather together, as we continue, we um, we're still working through the Book of Isaiah. And one of our practices this year has been taking longer to go through larger sections of Scripture to really understand what particular books say, what authors were hoping to convey, and how those affect and impact us each day. So. So just like every good show that we watch, there's that kind of like two-minute recap, right? The only downside right now is like on your remote, you can't choose to skip the recap. Uh, But I want to bring you up to speed on where we've been in Isaiah. We've got two more weeks this week and next in the book of Isaiah. And up to this point, we know it as one long unit, the book of Isaiah. But it's understood as really basically three different books written or collected over different periods in the history. And because of that, we have just wrapped up Book One, which was believed to be written in or around the time of Isaiah, and it's understood to kind of be his reflections on what's happening and what comes next. Where we'll look at today is the beginning of Book Two, and it picks up about a hundred years or so, or sorry, more than that, a couple hundred years after the time of writing. So in our chapter last week, we were on Chapter 39. And about 100 years after the finality of that chapter, Israel is defeated by the Assyrians and the, Babylons. the Babylonians. Remember, they kept trying to make alliances with them. and They're defeated, and they're carried off into exile. So this would be the season when God's people were displaced from their land and their home and their religious customs, and they were put into another country that was very different in every way, shape, and form. And they had to find ways to live faithfully. And so the writings that we'll begin to look at now are what we call the voice of Isaiah. But we begin to wonder, how could they be written if they were so long down the road? They were carried off into exile in 720, and this book is dated to about 530. So what we believe has happened there is the disciples of Isaiah, those who continued in his tradition, either rediscovered some of his writings that looked at this point in their history in the future, or they helped to gather the things that they had learned, and they put them down in this passage. So either way, what we're hearing is the voice of Isaiah speaking to a generation of people who are returning back home, returning back to a place that they had not been in a long time. The exile probably lasted about 70 years. And so you can imagine the excitement and the thrill and the joy, which kind of counters some of the readings early in Isaiah. But here's what they're experiencing is that the celebration is over. And finally, the people of God can return to the land that God had given to them. So they're thrilled and they're excited. One of the passages that comes to mind is Psalm 126. The Psalms were really the hymn book, the song book of the people of God. And I can imagine them singing this Psalm on their way back When the Lord changed Zion's circumstances for the better, it was like we had been dreaming. Our mouths were suddenly filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joyful shouts. It was even said at that time among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are overjoyed. So I want you to understand how they were feeling as they're coming back into the land and into the territory. They're thrilled, and there would be excitement, because in a lot of ways, they're seeing the promises come true. And, And I think we can relate to this, because we sense the promises of God, we look forward to the promises of God, but we don't always see the promises of God work out as fast as we want them to. And so we spend a lot of time in the waiting season, in the patient season, but here they are having gone through that in the celebration season, when they get to see the things come to pass. But the thing that we'll notice as we uh, continue to read is that the people are still hurting. It's not quite as black and white as they have left exile and they're back home and everything is great. They have experienced uh, God's judgment. They have experienced what they have perceived to be God's absence from their life while they were in exile. They have experienced what they perceive to be God's silence. They were away. Again, I want to invite us to to stand in those shoes because my hunch is we have felt those things too and we know how that feels. The truth is is that a lot of them had lost their faith during those years in exile. A lot of them, and we see this in other parts of Isaiah, voice the concerns that they believe that God has abandoned them. It's Great, we're back home. We kind of feel like God left us out in the cold. Some of them, we can see in Isaiah, have, have given up on their faith, but they've also given themselves to other gods, whether it's the gods of the Babylonians or the gods of the other nations around them. Whatever the case, they've decided that, that this God of Israel just, just isn't going to cut it for them anymore. We even see places in Isaiah when, when once they return to the promised land, they don't automatically just jump back into the habit of following the outline, the laws and the way of living that God had prescribed. And so we see that they're still rebellious too. And I think it's easy for us to, be, to look at something like that, a situation, and think, like, once again, what's wrong with these people? Oftentimes, at first glance in the Old Testament, I think, how do they get it so wrong when you've got a, a pillar of fire, right, or, or a cloud or these temples? But I think what we see is a people who are living in trauma, and what we know to be true is that trauma doesn't automatically get fixed just because something starts going right. We live with these traumas. We carry them in our body. We carry them in our, in our minds and in our hearts. And just because promises come to pass doesn't mean we don't still have a lot of baggage to deal with. And so when I see the Israelites struggling with their faith, feeling like, you know, God, where have you been in this season? When I see them still kind of giving up and being rebellious, realize that this is a people in trauma and yes they have been rescued but they've got a lot to work through and they've got a lot to rebuild and so we might wonder to ourselves with this kind of response how does God respond to them how does God respond back to them and what we'll see here in just a moment is that God moves into their hurt moves into their distrust even moves into their idolatry and into their trauma, and offers these words. And this is our passage for today. This is God's response to Israel in this place. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, Clear the Lord's way in the desert. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every mountain will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and rough terrain of valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear, and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. And I want to take us right back to this verse one. Because it always surprises me that, you know, when we read the Old Testament, a lot of times we think that this is kind of the judgeful, vengeful God, and we, we kind of place that upon it. But when we really dig into it, we see the merciful, compassionate God that we come to know in Jesus Christ. And we can see that here, again, in verse 1. When God's response to them is comfort, comfort. I wonder if they expected judgment. Judgment. Bad news, bad news. Once again, they're surprised by grace that offers comfort in that place. And I think it's worth noting, too, here the way that God addresses them. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. This is getting very personal for the people. And that's what God wants them to understand is that. The purpose in God offering these words is to help move someone who is stuck in their circumstances to take heart and to believe what is possible and what might come next. We know that their lives and their trauma can't be healed instantaneously because we know that that's not true for us either. But we know that words of comfort, words of relationship from God can begin those first steps of healing and restoration that they're looking for. I don't know if anyone's ever sung it. It's kind of off of the, the, the Christmas playlist that doesn't always make it into church services. Um, but there's a, there's a song that really pulls this line together, Comfort, Comfort My People. Uh, and it's one of those Advent songs. Maybe we'll put it on the list for December for this year. But we always have it slotted at that time because we know that Advent, the Christmas season, Is a season of waiting. We're waiting for presents, right? We're waiting for the 25th. We're waiting for some time off around the holidays. But we know the purpose of Advent is because we're waiting on the return of Christ. Because we can look around at this world and say, we know God is with us. We know God is not silent. But sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes there's so much going on that it's hard to get a sense. And so we sing these songs that remind us of God's words of comfort and promise. That will come in time. And what we see here is that there is a promise of a new thing that will be done. The new thing will be a salvation based not on what the people can do, whether they can get their lives right in the ways that they need to, but based on what God will do. And so we see these shifting things from the burden being on every one of us getting it right all the time and every one of God's people getting it right what God can do through us. And so that becomes the vision of hope that we'll see in the rest of this chapter here. I want to kind of read through some of these passages uh, individually. Uh, so if you're following along, we'll look at Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 28 through 31. and We'll kind of take these verse by verse. This is uh, the passage that we started with this morning. Again, the Lord speaking says uh, through Isaiah, don't you know and haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach. And what we what is trying to be conveyed to them and to us, conversely, is this idea that the full grasp of God's plans and purposes are just beyond our understanding. And I think that's what makes it challenging so, so many times. And how many of us have ever prayed and cried out, Lord, why? Or what do I do next? Or how do I remedy or reconcile this thing or this situation? Right? And so this reminds us and humbles us to say God's plans are far beyond all that we could ever understand or imagine. We recognize the challenge that that poses to us and the, the struggle that that becomes, but also the hope there, which is, That God has plans that we don't even know of, and if we did, we may not even understand. We know from other places in Scripture that God's plans for people are for good, and for hope, and for joy, and for life, and we see all these things come together. We're reminded in the next passage, in verse 29, that God gives power to the tired and relieves the exhausted. Now, we're in summertime, so no one's tired or exhausted. And what I appreciate about this passage here is a reminder of who God is. And I think what Isaiah, through the words of the Lord, is trying to do is to remind the people of who their God is and to remind them of some of the attributes that God brings to the mix. That God never suffers a lack. God never deals with not enough within God's self. Instead, God is one who helps those who do suffer lack Those of us who don't feel like we have quite enough, that we don't have everything we need to make it through. We're reminded here that all of us who feel weakness or tired or worn out can come to the one who has an excess of that. And we see that in verses 30 and 31 uh, when it says youths, youths. And that was a reference kind of in age-wise, really, to, for the most part, for anyone kind of of the age of accountability, maybe kind of teens-ish or up, so we're thinking of that age. And they're saying, so even these people who have vitality in their life, right, will become tired and weary. Young men, and this was a way of kind of stretching the age. I remember folks didn't live that long back then, so this was kind of the way of saying all those old folks, right, the young men, so... Up to the age of 35, kind of that average life expectancy back then. As a way of trying to say, young and old alike, we will all stumble, we all become tired, we all grow weary. Even the most vital of us come to the point where we say, that's all I've got. I can't give anymore. I don't have any more to bring to the table. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, however you want to measure it. And so what it reminds us is that God's vitality is made available to failing and struggling people. And the invitation here is, well, then, then what do we do? If we understand that we're a part of this process and that we're in this, on this struggle bus, so to speak, how do we make our, avail ourselves to all that God has for us? And it's a simple answer, but it's a hard answer. And we see it uh, in the last passage. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. Wait. We wait upon the Lord. And I always wish that there was like something else I could offer to say like, well, here's steps A, B, and C. And if you do A, B, and C, you will have energy, right? We're always looking for things that we can do that are within our control to make situations come back into control. I mean, I I see the humor in myself of thinking, this situation is out of control, which I'm a part of. I can help bring control. (laughs) It's ironic. And so the word from the Old to the New Testament back and forth is always that there's an invitation for us to wait on the Lord. And waiting is never easy, but in the waiting, what we do is, as we've done here, remind ourselves of who we're waiting on. The God who is with us, the God who's able to give us strength from God's own resources, Wisdom from beyond our wisdom. Direction when we're not sure where to go. And it's found as we take the time to sit and to wait on the Lord. And I have to remind myself what waiting looks like. Because a lot of times when I'm waiting, like I sit down and then this like it's, a, it's an instinctual habit. Like this comes out, right? And I wait like on Facebook and then I wait on Instagram and then I wait on email and then I wait back on Facebook just in case someone's posted in the last 25 seconds. And so I'm cognizant of the ways in which I and we wait, mostly by just trying to distract ourselves. Which there's, there's a time and a place for that, maybe for everything there's a season, as Ecclesiastes would tell us. But the kind of waiting that we're invited to here is not just a, a rumination on what others are posting or sharing or, or kind of things that just gather our attention for just a few moments. We're waiting on the Lord. We're anticipating what God is going to do. And so we remind ourselves of who this God is. We remind ourselves that we serve a God who is able to replace and even to exchange these broken places for something new. Throughout all of Isaiah, we get this sense that God is always doing a new thing. God is always doing a new thing among us. And there's always these questions as we're asked here, can we see it and can we perceive it? We see what God is doing. And so that's what Isaiah wants to offer these individuals, these people, this community, is a sense of a vision of what comes next. Yes, we understand the trauma that they're in now. The words of comfort, comfort are inviting them to look ahead and to lift up their eyes from where they are to where God wants to lead them. I mean, in those days, they were waiting as the people of Judah on their land to be kind of fully returned, on their temple to be re- fully rebuilt. They were waiting on a way of life to be returned to them. They were waiting for everything that they had to come back. But they were also waiting on what they'd been told was this new Jerusalem, something beyond these physical places. New Jerusalem in the Old Testament and in the New Testament captures this idea of, of heaven and God's presence but also this idea of heaven on earth as we, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And so what we see in them is a longing for something. And I want to remind us that when we feel those same longings, those same tugs and pulls, when we're in those places and we feel something, a longing for something, those are subtle hints of the God who is inviting us to lift up our eyes and to wait upon the Lord. And oftentimes in those moments of of waiting or longing, we tend to try to fill those with other things in the interim. That's the place where we can see God at work. But the people couldn't see beyond the trauma. God's response to them wasn't judgment, but comfort. And God says, here is where we're heading. This is where you are, and this is where we're going. We're heading to New Jerusalem. We're heading to Zion, To all these words. And so the interesting thing in the book of Isaiah is there's this question underneath these questions of of what kind of city, because that's how they're thinking about it is is a city, what kind of city do we see? If we understand where we are very well, right, we understand that the world isn't as it should be, that, that if God was to design the perfect world that we've gotten things pretty out of whack as humans. What do we lift up our eyes to? And so as Isaiah describes it across the book and throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah describes a city that becomes multinational. A city beyond just God's people of Israel together. Their purpose was always to be a nation that blessed nations. And so the vision that Isaiah sees is a multinational type of community where people from all different places are coming together in worship of the Lord. Isaiah describes, in result of that, a multi-ethnic community where, again, people from across the known world are coming together in worship, and they talk different and look different and act different, yet they all have the same God. So he's helping them to see that this is where we're going. Isaiah offers to them a vision of a city that they can see with safe walls. Walls in those days were important because it kept out everyone who was trying to kill you. But think about the power of knowing that they were safe for people who were living in trauma. they could know that behind their city walls, they'd be safe. Imagine the healing that could begin to take place from that point. Isaiah describes a place where God is present with God's people. Isaiah offers to them this vision and invites them to begin to move towards it. It's a reminder for us that that vision becomes partially revealed in Scripture, but we know that it becomes fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And then it will be fully revealed at the end of time when when Christ returns to make all things new as were promised in Revelation. And so what we find for Israel, for Judah at the time, for us today, is that we're living in a place that many have said is already, but not yet. We have already received the promises of God, but we are not yet there. How many of our lives can we describe as places where we've already accomplished, but also not quite yet? Can we look around our world and say, we've already made it in some ways, but not yet in others? And so we live in this tension, this in-between time of of knowing that Christ has come, but also knowing that Christ will come again. And so the question that I want to ask us today is to reflect on what kind of city did they see and ask us this question, what kind of church do we see? I heard someone pose this question a few weeks ago, and it's really stuck in my heart these last couple weeks. What kind of church do we see? We know where we are where is God inviting us to go? We know where our community of Horizon West in the West Orange area is, but where is God inviting it to go? We know about our families and our communities and our friendships. We know where they are, but what's next for those? Maybe they are in those places of trauma. Maybe things are going pretty well. But Isaiah's vision always invites us to lift up our eyes, to wait upon the Lord, and in waiting to begin to catch a glimpse. And maybe it's not so different from what Isaiah described. Maybe what kind of church do we see is a church that becomes more multinational, more multi-ethnic, more of a safe place for those who've been hurt or traumatized or cast out from society or from other churches, right? A place where God is present with us. And maybe in some ways we already are, but there's always ways that we're not quite yet. And so this becomes the work of God within us, is to shape each individual church, each individual community, each individual life more into the life of Christ. And and so I'd like to invite us to to think on that question. I'd love to invite you, if you have a thought about that this week, feel free to share it with me or email it or send it. I'd love to begin to get a sense of, as a church, this is something I want to ask our church council to wrestle with too, is, is what is the church that we see? What is God doing among us and how do we perceive that? How can we live into that? I want to offer you uh, that question to take home with you whether you write it down or, or jot it down in, in your phone. Just don't, just don't switch over to Facebook, please. Uh, take that with you. Pray on that. Wait on that. And begin to see what are the promises that God wants to do in us, in our community together, in our area. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.